by episode, storyline by storyline, character by character, as we break down the making of your favorite zip code, with your host, <laughs> Charles Rose. Did I say that? Harry Mullen. this thing about the, the, the real person, and we're going, what? We're getting rid of this guy. Pete Ferrero. I'm feeling wonderful. <laughs> Kathleen looks crush, TV crush worthy. Like so many special guests. And all your questions, live on the Beverly Hills 90210 Show. Oh, yeah. Okay, well, here we are on the Beverly Hills 90210 Show, back again, a couple of weeks off, lots of stuff happening with all of us behind the scenes, some good, some not so great. I know, Charles, you're dealing with quite a lot with your with your family and and whatnot so that's been something but good good things are on the horizon with all of that right charles how's everything hopefully hopefully yeah uh, thank, um uh, thank and thanks to so many who who did reach out to my daughter uh lindsey rosen passman uh about what's going on with her daughter and uh it's a very rare uh disease but we're, we're dealing with it and we'll see how she responds to treatment and um uh, Prayer, as my daughter would say, prayers are always welcome. That's the priority right now. Um, and she has a blog about some of this stuff, too, that we'll figure out how to share with everybody, too. Um, speaking of uh, tough news, you know, of course, a couple of weeks ago, we were on here talking about the passing of Jessica Klein, which, of course, is, is you know, devastating to the podcast. And, of course, for you who know who knew her way beyond that, uh, very sad times. We did go to the funeral. Um what did you feel, man, being there and uh, remembering your friend? Well, it, it's, it's interesting. Her daughter, Shira, who, of course, was in many episodes, numerous episodes as, uh, in uh, 90210, many of which she would be with my daughter, Lindsay, um, <coughs> uh, posted um, some really interesting photographs of, of Jessica from that time and just how just how classy she was, the way she dressed, the way she looked, the way she she was almost a in some ways a throwback to a New York of early television, just her 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 looks, her style. And um and she just was fun to be around. I mean one of the things about Steve and Jess think but 90210, we wanted to have fun. Yeah. Fun was a was a key part of our equation, both on the screen and off the screen. And um, and I we had a lot of rather good times with Steve and Jess and uh, it, 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 it off while we were working together and um, the funeral itself. It was a very hot day out in um, uh, in Simi Valley where the uh, cemetery uh, is. And um, it was uh, uh, very interesting. Jessica um was observant and and uh, as is Jessica's daughter and brother so there were many uh members of Chabad there and but 90210 was also represented mm-hmm. uh Pete was there I was there uh Karen, Karen. was there mm-hmm. and I will never forget the surprise delight emotion on Shira Wasserman's um face 
when she realized that the two women who were about to hug her were Jenny Garth and Gabrielle Carteris. And of course they were both there. And um, it, it was really, uh, it, we didn't talk about 90210 much. Um, what what Shira has said, I went to, when in the Jewish religion you have, uh, un, unlike, it, it's the Jewish version of a wake, except the wake has much better alcohol. Um, this was, but there was, uh, you sit Shiva, it's called, and you talk and you remember, and then you end up with the, with the mourner's prayer. Um, and, and Shira had a few of those at Jessica's apartment in Beverly Hills. Mm. And um, what was really interesting is when I walked in, they happened to be talking about 90210. Oh. Um, and specifically what they were talking about was the fact that you had sent uh, Shira a full copy of all of the 90210 episodes, which, right. you so, which you have in your stable there. Yes. And, uh, and that to see the episodes with the original music, as opposed to what passes today, makes it impossible for her, Shira, anymore to watch what's on Hulu, et cetera, et cetera. And it is the diminishment of, of really the artistry that Jessica and her late husband, Steve, was such a part of putting together is, is, is just gone. It makes it so hard for me not to um, mm. shout uh, every time we're together here. But the fact is, is that uh, this is a profit making corporation and an industry that really doesn't care that it's not preserving its, its, um, legacy so and and you know to the point where i think you know we think about the bigger songs that are missing from some episodes and they can't even air the episode but i i'm also sort of annoyed with the fact that like a peach pit song that you specifically put on the jukebox that kind of is a soft hint to what's going on in the storyline is removed from the episode i mean so and it's just some generic 50s jukebox track that would be playing at any standard uh, diner in America, but the Peach Pit was not that, right? So um, yeah. they're they're just not they're not getting it, um, and it's sad that we we're still we've been doing this podcast. This is probably our hundredth and nineteenth episode over three years, I guess, or two or three years, and yeah. it's you know. We've and I'm always and I'm just waiting for, for those of you out there. I'm just waiting to when I finally have paid off, done enough of these to pay off what I owed Pete. You know, for our, bet, <laughs> our baseball bets. That's right. Um, because it is baseball season. And, and we have to, if we're going to talk about that too, before we yes. start talking about the episode, uh, just very briefly. Um, I, I just want to say, though, that what, what Shira said to Jessica, to, uh, to Jenny and Gabrielle was beautiful. She said, you, you spoke her words. And um, it was a really touching moment. And Jenny and Gabrielle were both very touched by what Shira had said, that she recognized that you know, Jessica worked so hard in, in this world and in this industry and uh, is a fantastic writer. And those actors at times did speak some of the words that you right. all wrote and specifically right. Jessica. So it was a, it was a beautiful, beautiful uh, moment for Jessica. And of course we miss her here. And yes, we're definitely going to do a Jessica Klein tribute show here at some point. Just want to get everybody situated for that. Uh, but you mentioned baseball. I'm more sad. I mean, it's just like this has become the show where we just point out who passed away. Uh, Vin Scully passed away, and I know that that's a touching person in uh, Dodger land, and you being a lifelong Dodger fan. Uh, 
talk to me about that. Well, with Vince passing, a lot of people are sharing memories. And I think the memory of the stadium and the baseball memory is to hear the fact that he was uh, on the radio. Dodger baseball was played on the radio, not on television. And people, this was the era where transistor radios were new. So people would bring their transistor radios to Dodger Stadium and listen to Vin Scully in the Coliseum in the early days of Dodger Stadium to the point where he had to ask people to turn down their radios because the feedback <laughs> was, was, was distorting what he was saying. And he could hear what he was saying a seconds later and getting, you know, a little, little oh, befuddled, which, was not, yeah. which yeah. was not Vin Scully's style, of course. Uh, I met him twice. Once was uh, my, my high school girlfriend and I, and my high school girlfriend knew him and his first wife, his, her parents did, and she he recognized her. So we sat next to them um, seeing a, a show at downtown at the Music Center. Of course, it was off season at that point. But the other time that I really had a conversation, brief conversation with him was when I took my son on a... Uh, baseball odyssey right before his bar mitzvah. He was 12 years old. And one of the places we ended up being was in Cleveland, Ohio, where the Dodgers were playing uh, the Indians in an interleague game. And we were staying at a Marriott hotel and we were waiting for the team to load the bus. Very few players came out on the official bus, but Vin Scully walked through and he was going to keep going. And I kept saying, there were only about 12, 13 people there. And I said, Vin, can you sign my son's uh, ball? Um, we're from Los Angeles. We drove to Los Angeles. We're on a baseball odyssey. And he came over and he started to sign it. And I said to him, and after this, we're going to Cooperstown, where I understand uh, you're you're a member. And he said, yeah, they put me in the base. They put us in the basement. And I, said, <laughs> they, and I said, they may have put you in the basement, Vin, but to us, you live on the penthouse. Oh, that's amazing. And he, and he looked up and he smiled. <laughs> and uh, I never wonder if we ever used uh, that metaphor, that kind of in, in any of his subsequent broadcasts. But uh, <laughs> like any good writer, you steal from the best. And uh, and that was a timely moment and uh, and really captured for me who the guy was, I would who I would listen to on the radio and fall asleep to uh in in my youth because the games would go on too long and uh i particularly remember once probably shouldn't even bring this up to, to the delight of giant fans but i remember <laughs> once the dodgers were winning like six to nothing and i fell asleep and i woke up the next day and they lost the game seven to six or something so, <laughs> yeah of course you know, but um yeah baseball's uh meant a lot to us and a lot to the city and um Maybe even we'll, we should watch that baseball episode again. And, oh, uh, totally. And uh, um, tribute to Vinny. I was going to say also, um, he has some Mets history too, Vin Scully. You know, he called the 86 game um, where the where the ball went through uh, Bill Buckner's leg and all that stuff. So he's someone that's iconic in baseball. If you're a baseball fan, there's something that he probably called that uh, is is iconic or important to you somewhere in the uh, in the universe. Uh, more. More more sad news for the Dodgers. They picked up Joey Gallo in the trade <laughs> in the tra at the trade deadline. That, that's inside baseball. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I don't know. I don't quite understand that one. We had a guy named Jake Lamb who was a real good player for the Arizona Diamondbacks, and we had some bad health years and whatever. And he was doing really well off the bench and getting some timely hits. But 
he's gone and we've got this Joey other guy. Gallo. Yeah. I don't think, I don't think he's going to be much, you know, sometimes I've been watching these baseball central things. And the interesting thing is, is once sometimes they, a trade happens and it's because all these general managers are friends and one is doing another one a favor. Totally. And that might be the Joey Gallo story. I, think I hope so, because so, otherwise it makes no sense. They have to get him out of New York, get him off this team, send him to the Dodgers, and maybe they can fix him. And you know what? If there's any team that can fix him, it is the Dodgers. Agreed. So, Just ask Max Muncy and uh, Chris Taylor. Yeah. Um, so this this is this has been an interesting week for baseball. If you're a baseball fan, lots of stuff happening on there. Um, I do want to plug one thing before we get into talking about Anaconda. We're doing something really fun with Pluto TV on Tuesday, August 9th. Um, we're going to be in a Reddit room. Charles, I have no idea what a Reddit room is. We're going to find out what that means. Um, and we're going to stream along watching an episodes uh, of Pluto, kind of like we do watch alongs on the Patreon, only it's going to be over uh, Reddit. So you'll be able to hear us. It's a Reddit audio room. And first we're doing hazardous to your health. Larry and I are doing that. And then Charles are gonna, and I are going to look at something in the air as a little tribute to uh, Jessica. And so just follow our Instagram, Beverly Hills 90210 Show, and I'll get you all the details on uh, how that's going to happen. Um, all right, let's talk about Anaconda. Let's just jump right into this because we do have a guest that will be waiting in the wings in about 15 minutes or so. He was in this episode. Ash Adams is his name. Uh, he was one of the actors that is in the card game that I guess he's the sort of culprit that sets the whole card game uh, scenario up. Uh, we watched Anaconda yesterday. What did you? What were you thinking of this episode? It's very early into the second season. We're still figuring out characters. Me and you, when we first watched it, we were thrown for a loop. We didn't know what we were watching at almost at first. Uh, what was your take on on some of this up up at the up the top? Well, it made me th a few things. It made me think about summer episodes in general. And as as everyone knows, we were really really focused on the first two. First one, Darren Starr, writing it, got to get Brenda and, and Dylan split up now that uh, because she was late and it's out and then that's the bag and Darren wrote that. And then the next one we had to do was we had to set up the ethos of the Beverly Hills Beach Club. And we did that with the party fish. And both of those we've looked at. Um, we also, at this period of time, we're, we're having, you know, what a lot of kids in that era, at least or in Beverly Hills, would do, would go to summer school. And so we had uh, using drama class as that. And so I always knew that the character, the, the, the what we envisioned for the having a crush on a teacher, uh, just for various reasons, did not play out and was a disappointment to me in the execution of our summer episodes. Um, uh, summer Storm, the third episode, was, however, a really strong one with Dylan and the surfing accident and his problems and not places to go in the beginnings of his problems. Uh, and we we played that off of, if you remember, um, a Kelly episode having interest with a, a guy who was... Um, uh, Kyle. By Kyle. Yeah. Football player, good looking guy who play, was willing to play a bi curious sure. uh, individual. David and Lasher is that actor. Yes. David right. Lasher. And David's come on our show. And I remember him being very a nice guy then and certainly a nice guy now. 
yes. being part of our extended community. I had lunch with him about two months ago. He's, he's he's a wonderful guy. He's got a lot of good ideas and projects that he's working on. He's 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 really great. And he looks at this nine hundred two one zero experience as something that was really impactful and important. He thinks, I mean, he can't say enough thanks for you, Chuck. I just share no, it. It was, as I say, it was easy to work with and, 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 and did some really interesting things that no one else on TV sure. was, had the guts to do at no. that point. Mm-hmm. And I think so, he had people who thought he was gay in, in, in real life. Like he had people come up to him at that time, wondering if this was, a, uh, you know, based on was he, where was he coming from with this? But, no, you know, he's, he's, just a, he's just a good actor. That's <laughs> exactly. <laughs> But um, so, we, but it, it, bringing that up is because it had, we had an A story and a B story. Mm-hmm. Look at Anaconda, and it showed to me that few things. For you know, the first episode, Darren. Second episode, written by me. Third episode, written by Jess and Steve, with Karen waiting in the wings to do camping trip and seven. Then we had all these other episodes, and we had to find. Well, can this freelancer do it? Or can this person join our staff? And this episode was 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 by a, a writer we brought in to be a, a producer, Jonathan Roberts. And I think we were just learning the tone, learning what to do. Um, you know, it, it, it's one that you, you can look back. And, and there were a few things I take away that we, uh, particularly as it pertains to Luke mm-hmm. and the character of Dylan, that we were just trying to figure out what to do with him now. We, he yeah. now was a, it was one thing he had the big scene with with Brenda in season one <clears throat> in the big episode I should say in 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 um, isn't it romantic and then there were a couple and it's going through that and then that tapers down a little bit and then of course they become sexually active and it takes on a new dimension but who really is the guy I mean where is his mother mother what the father what's his circumstance what was he doing? And I think Luke was trying to find, and, and where is it with his money and who's his father and all this stuff. And I think Luke was trying to grapple with that and played him his character as a very depressed, yeah, you know, individual. And he wasn't drinking, but we didn't, you know, it, it just, it just was, a, it was not a frothy fun episode. Uh, and, and I, so I noticed that. And some of the stuff that we normally see, like we get to know Dylan has money. Dylan has this sort of quiet swagger about him, right? Like he's Dylan McKay. He's the rebel. He's he's our James Dean. And in these episodes, he doesn't feel like that Dylan. He feels like he's trying to find who Dylan is. And maybe that was reflected right. in the actor, but also in the writing of it, because you guys were still trying to find out who Dylan Exactly, and I think that probably prompted some of his frustrations later that that came out as we talked about when we were talking about camping trip. Because, you know, who am I? Who am I supposed to be? You know, I feel like a ping pong ball, and this week I'm this way, this is... And, you know, looking back at it, well, you're not wrong. And, you know, but realize that with a very inexperienced and understaffed writing group group of writers, we were trying to, you know, find it. And we on the fly, because we had no time to talk about it, because we were jumping back into the summer episodes. And it's also kind of a thing, right, where you didn't even know if you were going to get past 12 of these things. And then you do. 
And you get well, six, then 12, and then you get 18 of them. And then you come up with this idea that he's going to, that Brenda's going to lose her virginity is a huge thing. And then it's like, now what? <laughs> you know what I mean? Nobody's even thinking you're going to get past 12 of these. So, I mean, you're still in a place in the beginning of season two where you're, you're, everybody's finding their way, you know? And in one, one other aspect of this episode that's interesting too is that there is no Kelly Taylor. We, we pointed out when we were watching this. And uh, I haven't found out why Kelly or Jenny Garth is not a part of this episode. But Donna gets a whole bunch of what I felt like, and you kind of confirmed, probably got some of Kelly's lines because Jenny Garth wasn't there. And I now. Think- Right, I think we pretty much deduced that Jenny was either ill, or that, or that for some reason we gave her a, she got a week off, an episode off, um, which Aaron uh, would do on occasion if if, if you like the actor, and it also then for presented uh, Tori with different material than she would normally get because up to this point. By and large, except for the one episode where we featured her with her learning disability, she didn't uh, usually get numerous uh, passages of dialogue. And she gets it on this one. And I, I mean, it was the first one was 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 really caught me off guard because it, it had to do with her seeing if she could get permission to go on and out on a date with Dylan. And mm-hmm. and and we realized as we were watching it. And the way she was looking and her expressions, if you go back and take a look at the episode, you realize that at this point, Donna had not, or the writing staff, had not come to the point to proclaim her as a professional virgin. Right. And because of that, you know, there was the implication of um, she might be an easy date. Because the same lines, and if you look at this episode, just... Excuse me. Imagine Kelly Taylor saying all the lines. Right. Well, that, it, it almost it feels like they would be Kelly's lines in, in in some ways. You know what I mean? Like that right. Kelly would be a little bit more boy crazy than than Donna at that time because we're. I mean, now in the we're if we were looking back at it, Donna's a virgin and is planning to be. You know what I mean? Right. Like, but so and this was pre and obviously this was you know ten episodes before she on the dance floor proclaims her interest in David Silver. Right. But I mean, and then this is an interesting, an interesting question is like when you give Tori and it's hard to remember this probably, and you see that Tori can deliver in us in these scenes. Is it something where you're like, well, let's give the Donna character a little bit more instead of just, you know, a handful of lines on in, in an episode. Not as a result of Anaconda. Well, fair I enough. think that just yeah. was, was you know, by osmosis a little bit Got more. Yeah. The other thing I take away is when we get to the, there's a poker scene where uh, where they all dress up and uh, supposedly are supposed to be emulating Frank Sinatra and the right pack and playing like, you know, babes in this. And it was a, it, 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 it was part of the writer, John Roberts, who um, went on to write The Lion King, the, the musical, the movie, and, and then mm. what the musical is based on. Um, he wanted them all to kind of dress up and and almost smoking cigars. Almost, and I like the notion of it because what I went back to, I remember, <clears throat> is there was poker games played in the early parts of Risky Business by the Got characters it. who were the North Side of Chicago, and you know, kind of being 
you know, trying to affect be adults and stuff and smoking cigars. And they were smoking cigars in that scene. So I think that's probably where Robert's got the, the notion. And, and I kind of liked it, um, you know, that, but I feel that the scene itself, while we had Donna and, uh, and Brenda there, we didn't have the, the poker game. There, there weren't enough players. No, it, was, it wasn't a big enough uh, uh, event, and I and I was surprised about that. I, I I mean, I guess we were still, well, we were still a non-union show. We still had a very low license fee, and and that scene showed that. Because um, because they talk about all the babes that are going to be there, and you would think that there would be a handful of other female actresses that are hanging around in the room with Brenda and Donna. You know, maybe there would be a couple of other high stakes type guys that are amping up this right. this scene, and it is really just Steve, Brandon, the Adam, Ash that we'll talk to, and a, a buddy of his, and and the two girls. So it is minimal, right? And the other, my other criticism of this particular episode that would not have been a, been a factor had it been in our another season or just down the road a little bit was just in my story development to know that if it was going to be about a theft and the theft was going to be about by the laundry group, mm. uh, the people in inside job, as it were, that we didn't meet those guys, that yeah. we didn't see the transition it would have been very easy to do seen with, where 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 uh, where Steve is telling uh, Brandon about the game itself should have been while they were picking up the laundry and Jace and Brandon would have had a few lines with them and that was but again that well, was they, like, they are used you, they are used laundry company is used but it's very like Steve is too, in the Steve is in too, the yeah it's too it's subtle. Silly. You and don't it's know you you don't have any basis of who that, that that's there correct and it's Wednesday and this is what they do on Wednesdays and just to get the setup you know when you when you have exposition and we've talked about this is writing when you have exposition the way to get exposition out is conversationally that's natural that it doesn't even sound like it and that wouldn't have been because you would have been immediately in the plot. Right, exactly. And mm -hmm. you wouldn't have been thinking about, oh, those guys are going to be bad because you wouldn't make the association. Ergo, if you think about the uh, the you know the the ripping off of Dylan, you never saw those guys as bad because we didn't let you. And right. we would have same thing would have. Well, I learned that by season uh, four. I guess I hadn't learned it yet by. Season <laughs> two. Um, Henry Thomas is fantastic in this. We learned that that he even has a a backstory where he was, you know, involved in, a, in something. So you gave, you gave Henry a little backstory to add a little bit of who is behind the, the theft and how the right. police handled Henry. I thought was interesting. What did you think of that aspect of this uh, storyline? Can't have a Rosen episode without a racially just uh, <laughs> observation. Can you, I, I, I must admit, I hope I'm forgiven for this. Um, you know, when um, the America learned about what saw George Floyd happen mm -hmm. and Black Lives Matter and so many of um, my daughter's generation were outraged yes. and, hadn't, and hadn't really thought about the black experience. And they wanted to turn to, you know, and many um, turn their 
annoyance and rage and frustrations to their parents' generation and saying, why didn't you tell us more about what was going on? And why didn't you teach us? Well, you know, I went to a, a private school in Andover, Massachusetts, and I took black American history. You you can't do that. I, I was a, would argue with my father over the dinner table, not about who's, is, do we like the Yankees or the Mets, but, you know, about the Black Panther Party, sure. where I was an advocate. So we, you know, it was something that mattered to me. And it, 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 and that's one of the reasons why, uh, without having a um, an F, a black member of our, our permanent cast, we tried to have so many in our recurring casts, whether it was Denise Dowsey or Henry Thomas or whoever it would be. Deshaun. Be, yeah. part of our, be part of our world. And... Um, so I, I thought it was an interesting, real interesting statement because here's this good guy doing good things. And yet, you know, it was a plausibility that when he was a younger man, um, he was uh, uh, rounded up with, with yeah. one of the usual gang of suspects, as it were. For sure. I mean, and um, we do, like you said, the one one note, and we're going to go to this, we'll have to switch over and do this Ash thing very quickly, but... Um, it is only one, there isn't an A and B storyline. We're only talking, essentially, if there's a B, I don't know, it's it's Dylan and his money problems, which is, starts sort of starts this episode, and there's like his injury, and he's living with Brenda, so maybe that's an A or B. I don't know, like, it, yeah, it doesn't feel... No, it wasn't, little, it, wasn't it was... It, it, it was confused, and because you didn't have the cutaway, this I felt the episode moved, and because it was he was lugubrious, I thought that the episode moved a little slowly. No. All right, hey, we're here on the Beverly Hills 90210 show here with um, Ash Adams, who was in this episode, Anaconda. Um, and Chuck, it's interesting. We, we watched this episode, and we were talking about his performance. is wonderful. But Ash, you and Luke actually got together long before 90210, right? Why don't you talk to us a little bit about how you even met Luke Perry? Sure, yeah. Luke and I were, were, were very tight, and we came up uh, together in the 80s in soaps. He was on, when I first met Luke, he was on Loving, and I was playing John O'Ryan on Ryan's Hope, and I believe this was 87. And we, we Loving and Ryan's Hope were in the same studios down on 66 and West End. Um, so the ABC studios that, that we were in, we also shared it with the news, which is, I think a lot of people didn't, didn't realize that. Um, and why would they, but you know, we were in the same studio, but we were in the same studio as the news division as well. So like I used to smoke cigarettes with Peter Jennings, you know, oh. in, the, in, in the back. And it was like, I was so starstruck with fucking Peter Jennings. You know what I mean? Because he, <laughs> he was like, he was the guy that did the shuttle disaster before I sure. got to New York. Remember? Right. Yeah. And it was like, that's when I fell in love with Peter Jennings because I was like, this guy's, he's got tears in his eyes. I mean, he was so authentic. He was so, and he was doing that all on the cuff, man. I was yeah. like, that's, you want to talk about improvisational skills, look at a guy like Peter Jennings sure. because that, that cat could pull it off. Well, it's um, interesting you you mentioned, uh, I have one Peter Jennings story that my, yeah. my really close college friend, David Ensor, who was a correspondent for ABC News, he, the dip, he would talk about the difference between going up uh, and, and getting on with Ted Koppel and going mm -hmm. on with Peter Jennings is that Peter Jennings had this perversity quality 
what he liked to do with his stand-up reporters is throw them a question they didn't talk about before in the news review. Mm. And, it, and so to right. make the reporters, you use the word improvise, which means well, then I'm going to tell my my improvisational right. story about yeah. Peter Jennings. Uh, I love it. <laughs> yeah. It's so good, man, because it, it, it humanized him in a way that made him so accessible, you know, as a as a I think in the way that probably the generations before us felt about Walter Cronkite. You know, I mean, he was a cat that, you know, had that authenticity, the genuine quality uh, about him. Uh, as someone from that generation Era. who's watched the CBS evening news every single night with my family as the Vietnam War came from my string. Ash, mm, in yeah. all deference, there is no comparison between Walter Cronkite and Peter Jennings. Fair enough. Okay. <laughs> tell me. Trust, tell trust me. me. Trust me. Tell me. Tell, explain that. Walter uh, Cronkite was the conscience of a nation. Peter Jennings was an important. Yes. Got Fair enough. Yeah. And, and, one. and, and not, that not, was. And, but he didn't no, have no, the no. Same, I understand exactly. Didn't have the same no. uh, status. Didn't have the same sure. role. I'm sure that Peter Jennings looked to Walter Cronkite as as a as a you know elder statesman and as somebody to mirror. Um, I mean, Walter Cronkite. I remember as a kid, you know, them reporting on the news Vietnam, and and they would they would do it like it was a score, like it was a scoreboard. I mean, I, you know, what I remember about about you know, you oh, would yeah. see the you would see that they would list the dead. You know, they would list the how many American soldiers. That's right. And dead. if we had a good week, right, they got, we killed. It would be I like, mean, well, they killed 300 Americans, but we killed 50,000 yeah. Viet Cong. How, you know, how crazy like, was that? And Walter yeah. Cronkite somehow managed to humanize that and keep that in check when all I wanted to do was watch fucking Captain Kangaroo. You know, I mean, that's what <laughs> that was. The, that was the difference, you know, but it made an impression on me. I think it made an impression on anybody that had that was around that. But um, so you so you and Luke used to hang. Yeah. Huh? So sorry. We went off on a tangent there. It's OK. Um, I love it. <laughs> so. So, yeah. So Luke was Luke was on loving and I was I was doing Ryan's Hope and we started hanging out and and going around and, and playing pool together and, you know, chasing girls and, and doing all the stuff you do when you're a soap star in the 20s, when you're in your 20s. And believe me, in the 80s, New York City, in your 20s, on a soap opera, man, you were prince of the city. You know, you were you were really that was the heyday of soaps. And it was really a magical time to be there. And and Luke and I, one of the one of the first things we sort of connected with was that we both really got how fortunate we were to be doing this. You know, we both we both dug that we both understood that and we talked about it a lot. And that's why we weren't pricks like a lot of these other guys were, um, you know, walking around acting like movie stars. We knew where we were. We, we, we knew we were at the bottom of the rung and we were trying to work our way up and being on soaps. Hey man, that was a, that was a great career for a lot of people, you know, and, and we were young guys that were really appreciative of the fact that we were doing it, but we didn't think we were movie stars. You know what I mean? We were we were not doing that. That was not how we were behaving. We were behaving like 22 year olds, 23 sure. year olds, you know, mm -hmm. and, you know, what? and also you guys have to understand, too, that part of the, the zeitgeist of that whole time, you know, of New York City in the 80s and, and later on, we'll wrap around to what I was doing, what I was doing this year with that. But um, 
Luke and I were jumping out of planes together. You know, we were getting on buses going to Jersey to try to get tattoos because you, you couldn't do it in New York City at the time. Tattoos, tattoo shops were legal, hmm. you know, in New York City um, because there was such a element to, and I think there was a health element as well sure. to that. Um, and, you know, we were, uh, we were, like I said, running around this, this city together, um, knowing that what we were doing was, was not only fun, but if we took it seriously enough, it could really take us where we really wanted to go, which was we wanted bigger and better opportunities to work with bigger and better people. You know, and, um, and he gets that, you know, he comes to L.A., he gets the opportunity to work on 90210. Did you stay he, connected? You came to L.A. at some point, right? So, yeah, I, we, we both pretty much came back to L.A. at the same time, I believe, if I remember correctly. He might have come back a little sooner than me. Um, uh, it gets a little a little murky, but, you know, we were we were so we were so tight. I mean, we were we were we talked every day and um we were we were on yeah it was like six i had been back like six weeks because the show was canceled in january of 89 ryan's hope was canceled in january of 80 that was when the last episode aired and i remember uh, abc called me in and wanted me to do another show and i didn't want to i wanted to go i wanted to go home um i had done my three years and i wanted to go back and try my hand at a nighttime show um and they said, well, you know, that's that's tough because, you know, you got to bridge the gap between daytime and nighttime. Remember, it's 1989. You know, now there is no gap, you know, because right. there there is no soaps. Um, but, uh, you know, there's a few left, but there's nothing like it was in the 80s and the 90s. And um, I said, you know, thank you. But no, thank you. I, I really want to go home. And uh, I don't think that made them happy after you know building an audience with me in that show for three years i think they wanted to put me on another show obviously and try to get those numbers uh to follow and i understand that it's a big investment in somebody um but i wanted to go home and luke luke was either on his way or 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 came i think he i think he was already back there so um I'll, i'll i'll encapsulate this a little bit so we got we got home and and i was I had a place on, on, uh, I was staying in a place on, on Beachwood Canyon, I think. And, and anyone who's ever worked in show business at one point or another lived on Beachwood Canyon. I'm convinced. <laughs> um, it's, it's like everybody's it, lived on it, Beachwood including, Canyon. Including Jason Priestley. Yeah, it's, it's what I'm saying. <laughs> I knew Jason lived there too. Exactly. Did, did, you, did you live there, Chuck? I did not, but Paul Wagner, our line producer, did. <laughs> it, it was it was like it was just it was it was just show business row. Ash, you, know? you, you said you're going home. Were you uh, were you a, are you a L.A. native? Yeah, I grew up. I grew up in Brentwood in the Palisades, man. So Pally? <laughs> yeah, I, I went to Pally. Oh, well, I went to Beverly. So. Oh, you did. OK, so, you, you know, I mean, we so, grew up on the mean streets yeah, of Brentwood. <laughs> exactly. So the uh, and the uh, I grew in the hills of Beverly. So to end up. Uh, a little east um, yeah. in Beachwood Canyon was a little out of my zip code. So when I did after college move back, I was headed more to the beach. I was more Santa yeah. Monica. Yeah, I got you. Different I mean, Santa that's... Monica, but nonetheless. Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, we got... I, I, Chuck, you and I got to talk when we get off of this thing so we can actually have a, a, a mano a mano because we obviously... The, 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 we're, how old are you? I'm 58 now. How old are you? I'm old. 
Okay, cool. <laughs> anyway, Luke and I got back and um, we were running around auditioning and uh, this was 89. This was, so this was midway through, this was pilot season of 89 and we were both running around. And what we used to do on a weekly basis is on, on Mondays, we would meet at the seventh Vale, the strip club, and we would go in there on, on like at lunchtime, you know, when there was really nobody in there and we would, you know, we used to call it 10 at the door, hundred on the floor. And we would go in there and just, and just, you know, we, we weren't doing anything creepy. We weren't, you know, dating or sleeping with trying to sleep with any of these girls. We just went in there and participated in this thing and throwing money at these girls. Cause it felt like it was like one of the last bastions of, of real, like machismo left, you know, sure. we were, and it was, you know, like I said, it was, a t- it was 89, man, you know? Um, and, but we did that to remind ourselves what was important. <laughs> we, we, we told each other that we did that. So that we were reminded of what we were doing and running around all week long, trying to get our next job. Um, it was, it was, you know, this was to remind us to keep ourselves balanced, to keep our feet on the ground and, you know, like keep focused. It was, Nowhere it was really better to keep your feet on the ground than a strip club. Yes. No question about <laughs> it. I, 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 Everybody's I, so even keeled in the place. Like and that. and so. I, I knew Chuck would get that. So, um, it's, it's, a, you know, it's, it's two plus two equals four. I mean, it's math, man. It's totally. math. Um, so. Anyway, we would do that. So anyway, I, I got, um, you know, and we were, again, we were shooting pool every night at Hollywood Athletic Club. There used to be this great place oh, called Hollywood. Place. Remember that? What a great place. All the time. Even yeah. when he became internationally famous, Luke Perry, that's where he'd end up going. Yeah. And yeah. that's what, then that's where we would, we would shoot pool and hang out there. And, you know, we, 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 you know, we went all over town, but, but we spent a, a startling amount of time there. Um, so, uh, Anyway, I, I end up about six weeks after I get home, I end up getting called into Cannell Productions. I get called in by Stephen Cannell for this pilot that they're doing called Thunderboat Road. Do you remember this, Chuck? Sure do. Yeah. So I, I get called in for Thunderboat Row. And um, at this point, I don't believe I don't believe Beverly Hills 90210 is. No, on, we, were, we, we did not. Uh, we were not until 90, last, right? We were right. 90. Yeah, we you were 90. OK, so. So, yeah, so Luke, so Luke's like, okay, man, go in there, you know, crush it, blah, blah, blah. And I go in to read for the casting director at Cannell. And um, I'm leaving the building and I'm thinking, oh, man, I blew it, man. I, I just, I felt like I sucked at the, at the audition. I didn't do anything I wanted to do. I really tanked. I just didn't feel good about it at all. And I'm coming and I'm getting in the elevator. And this woman comes running out. And she says, are you, are you, are you, are you Adams? And I go, yeah. And she says, listen, uh, uh, Stephen really wants to meet you. Can you stay? And I said, no, I gotta, I gotta go. And she said, excuse me. I said, I'm kidding. Of course I can stay. <laughs> um, and I was so excited because Cannell was like a God. He was, you know, he was not Question. unlike, you know, Yes. No, no, he said no, no, no question. Like, no, he said no, said no question. question. I, oh, I, I thought you said question. Mm-hmm. I thought you were raising, raising your hand. <laughs> question. <laughs> question. Um, <clears throat> yeah. Cannell uh, was like a God. It was like Aaron Spelling. And, and he was, you know, those guys were, were coming up and like Darren Starr became, you know, Darren Starr became one of those guys too. Um, you know, one of these guys that, you know, had that Midas touch. And so when Stephen wanted me to, to wait, obviously he was watching the audition from some, you know, eye in the sky or whatever the hell it was. 
So anyway, I went in there and I read for Steven. And I, long story short, they ended up giving me giving me a deal, and I went to test at ABC, and I got it. So I get this two hour. Stephen Cannell pilot, which, which was like the biggest pilot of the year. It was huge. It was a big Miami vice type of show. And, you know, Luke and I were, 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 you know, we're talking about it. And he said, well, you know, what was the other one that was offered you? Grant Tinker had offered us a show as well. And I was trying to decide whether to go with Grant Tinker or go with Stephen Cannell. And Luke and I were discussing and we both decided that, Hey man, there's, it's hands down. You go, you go with Stephen Cannell. You know, you go with Stephen Cannell. So we decided that we went to Stephen Cannell, blah, blah, blah. So anyway, long story short, we go down to Miami and we shoot this sort of 25 year old version of Miami Vice. And uh, it's a, uh, it was one of the one of the one of the last of the two hour action pilots. You know, it was really expensive. I mean, I heard a lot of really like ludicrous numbers about how much that show cost. Um, and it and it wasn't. any. let me just say this diplomatically. It, it, it was not the best pilot ever made. Um, that's, that's for sure. It was not the best pilot. Good intentions, um, much put into it, I guess. And it won its time spot when it aired, but I guess evidently ABC and Steven had problems and they parted ways. So point of that is, is that by that time I had already bought a Porsche got a townhouse in the Hollywood Hills. Cause I had a series that was shooting in Miami. <laughs> mm, <laughs> right. No, no, mm. not, not because, because I was, I was cute at the time, but I wasn't that bright. And, and I, I actually <laughs> still feel that way. Most of the time <laughs> I gotta, I gotta tell you, I'm just not so cute anymore, but I really don't feel like I'm that bright, you know, because it was like, oh yeah, we're going to, we're going to go to Miami and we have the show. I had no idea the numbers involved. Mm. So Luke talked me down off of that. And then not long after that, Luke got 90210 and he was, he was off and running. I want to ask you when you did this episode, Chuck and I were curious about this because at this time, Luke, he was trying to find his character of Dylan, right? You know, we were still early in the show when you came in and did your episode. Yeah. Was he talking to you about wanting to act more, yeah, wanting to get, you yeah. know, and like not feeling like he knew who he was or anything like yeah, that? I mean, it wasn't he wasn't really talking about it in terms of of Dylan. He was talking about it in terms of, like I said, you know, when we were in New York coming up, we really wanted to be good actors. You know, we really, really wanted to be good actors. That was our first and foremost thing. And, you know, I I, I had the opportunity in New York in 87 in the season of 87, 88. I, I auditioned for the actor's studio and became a lifetime member i was really fortunate man i went in there i i auditioned you know usually you don't get in on your first audition and for some reason shelly winters and paul newman was president then and frank corsaro was the artistic director they they let me in and i was like the second youngest guy ever to become a lifetime member so i had you know a season and a half with the actor's studio before back to la and and i know how much it helped balance out all the habits and the patterns that you have to have to do a three camera soap opera, mm -hmm. you know? So it was a really good balance for me. And Luke called me up one time uh, when we had gotten back to New York and he was, they, you know, into 90210. Um, and he said, look, man, you know, I, I want to, I think I want to try to get into the actor's studio. 
And I said, okay, great. Good idea, man. You know, uh, he goes, so can you find out when the next auditions are and what do I have to do? And I said, look, I can sponsor you in. I can't get you in, but I can certainly go and say, hey, you know, put this guy at the top of the list. And obviously Luke was already becoming, you know, a a star at that point. Um, So in my mind, he wasn't going to have an issue. You know, he wasn't going to have an issue getting in. Um, I, I think he I think he would have done great there. And uh, but unfortunately, the, the auditions were had just happened or had just happened a couple months before that. And they only do it twice a year. They only audition once or twice a year, depending right. on depending on what they're doing. I don't even know what they're doing now. But back then they were only doing it. I think they were only doing it once a year at that point. And, you know, 3,000, 4,000 between New York and L.A. would audition and they'd let in maybe two or three. Mm-hmm. You know, that that was the way it was. So I was confident that Luke would do great. And he said, you know, find out when the auditions are, blah, blah, blah. And that was sort of the last we ever talked about it, I think, because he was so he he was so caught in the jet stream of that, of what was happening. And I think one of the reasons he might've, he might've called me that night was that he felt that's what was going on. And he wanted to keep a, a, you know, a foot on the ground with maybe getting in somewhere where he could be working with great actors. And, um, you know, that's what the actor studio was full of. You know, I used to sit in New York with Harvey Keitel over on one side and Christopher Walken on one side and Ellen Burstyn and Shelley Winters. These were my, coaches yes. you know um so i think i think luke really wanted that and uh he got caught up in the in the jet stream of that show being such a phenomenon and him being such a phenomenon that it only happens like once every generation once or twice every generation what happened to him i mean it, wouldn't you agree chuck yes absolutely i think of him and i think of the um when they did the um you know, he liked hanging out with the, with the, you know, the Stallone and Schwarzenegger and all those guys who were in the Hollywood. What was it? What was it with the? Um, oh, the uh, Hollywood, uh, Planet Hollywood. Planet, Planet Hollywood. Hollywood. Yeah. So right. he was the one TV guy they let in with all the movie stars. Right. right. Correct. Correct. You know what? When you were talking, one thing that interested me. I want to go back to the soaps for a second. Yeah. But, but now, when you would do that, uh, you'd be there. You're. They would, you would be looking and there would be a board or something or somebody be holding something and you, they, you'd see your lines. So your lines would be that you didn't have to memorize all your work every day. And so, no, that's that, that was not, that was not the case on our show. Um, When I got there, it was maybe two or three months that they completely eliminated the teleprompter. Um, The teleprompter was there and other shows used it. And I used it once. And Joe, I don't know if you know who Joe Hardy is. Joe Hardy was our executive producer. And he was a Broadway guy, very famous Broadway director. Um, I, I don't, I can't go through his credits right now, but he was, he was, he was the real deal, this cat. Sure. And I think he took the soaps as sort of a way to cash out, get the money, you know, and retire. Um, but he was a real no nonsense, very militant dude. And he didn't like how lazy everybody was getting with this teleprompter. He thought it was affecting the performances. And remember on Ryan's hope, there wasn't a bunch of pretty people. It was, it was real New York stage actors that I was surrounded with Helen Gallagher, Bernie Barrow, 
I mean, these were really serious stage actors. They were my grandparents, you know, and they scared the shit out of me because they were really <laughs> serious people. And I was this punk from the Palisades. So anyway, one day I, I went up on a line and the camera, camera one's on me, camera, camera two is waiting to go on. And I just spun my head to read the line. I said, you know, one of the things that I can't stand that Rick. And another thing, what I don't like is, and I mean, you could see me turning. I mean, on camera, you could see me turning, looking, reading the line, then turning back to whoever I was working with and saying the line. Joe Hardy called me in after the end of the day, showed it to me on the on the prompter, showed me showed it to me on the on the VHS on the on the copy that he had of it, and he said, "If I ever see that again, you're fired." And scared scared the hell out of me. So it was several months later, Chuck, that they took the teleprompters off of our show. Chuck, did yeah, anyone... Did any- interesting, yours is a, a unique experience. The reason I ask is because in this, um, you know, I, I wish to talk, I wish Luke was here. I could be talking to him about this. Yeah. I, he in our cast had the most trouble with a memorization. Mm-hmm. And I wondered if part of that was because of the technique of doing soaps where you have the crutch. Hmm. No, I don't. I don't know because it, that may very well be have been the case with Loving. I don't know if they had the teleprompters or not. Um, if, if that was the case with Luke, um, I was never aware of that. But but maybe that's what was going on for hmm. sure because Chuck, that is anyone... a terrible. That's a terrible habit, man. And you know, there's some guys that can do it. You know, there's some guys that are like masters. There was this guy, Daniel Pilon, who played the heavy on Ryan's Hope. He was an older actor. And man, that guy had a, he was like Nixon. He had this shifty eye thing, you know, that he's, so he could get away with it. So he never learned to lie. That motherfucker never had to learn a line (laughs) because he could just fucking shift his eyes over there and he could get it all. But it's a real, it's a talent, man. It's a, it's a, you see it, you see it with the cast on uh, SNL. Some are really good looking off camera. Right. Correct. Did did anyone Chuck on 90210 ask you for a teleprompter? No, no, we were not. Got you. (laughs) But you guys were shooting on film, right? Shot on 16. Yes, exactly. On that's 16. what I'm saying. We were yes. in a three yeah. camera show. Yeah, 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 exactly. So, yeah, that's what I remember. But, um, yeah, I mean, as far as <clears throat> I, I think my 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 humble opinion on why Luke had problems with that is a part of what Pete brought up earlier about not being sure about his character or what he was playing maybe in that first few years. You know, maybe he ne- maybe he never really found that cat and decided to for it to be a hyper extended version of himself which is what it should have been anyway and which is I why think, I, I think i think fans are listening to this our, our audience is a bunch of super fans they're jumping out of their seats now because luke found the guy believe me. yeah yeah well no but that's, but that's what i'm but that's what i'm getting the, at yeah what i'm getting at is that is that is that dylan was him and that's sure. what i that's what i think he finally got to and where he finally got comfortable was, was there was no character to find, man. It was him. <laughs> right. Well, he too, you know, and, and, and he wanted to be very distinct. So he, you know, he was our, you know, James Dean character. Correct. And, and did not want any references to James Dean to the point that he wouldn't, we, when we filmed up at the uh, observatory, 
Mm-hmm. He did not want any references to um, Rebel Without a Rebel Cause. Rebel Without a Cause, right. right. And it's like, 100%. you know, okay, Luke, you're the star. I'm going to take it out, but, you know, but, you know. I would, uh, I would, I would bet money, guys. I would bet money that eventually, you know, and and sooner than later, Luke probably got to that point within himself that he said, "Hey, man, this is me. There's no outside character to be searching for that I have to embody. It's me." And you know, I would, I would agree with that. Yeah. 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 Good. Yeah. Good. Not only on to play Dylan McKay, but on everything else he approached. Correct. Because, you know, look, it took me it took me 20 years to figure that out. (laughs) It took me to 20 years to figure out after, you know, after all that time I spent at the actor's studio, man, I was like, wait a minute. Why am I having such a hard time? Oh, I know why, because I'm not schizophrenic. That's why, (laughs) you know, and it's like, wait a minute, man, if I can't find this within myself, I shouldn't be playing this. Right. It's just, you know, but it took me forever. And I think Luke might have gotten to that. And 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 I, I I would like I said I would bet money that he got to that. But also, as as you know, Chuck, because you watched it with everybody, some people handled the lack of oxygen level of of celebrity better than others. And I always thought that Luke handled it, you know, as good or better than anybody. Sure. You know, Luke. That's what we've heard. Here, here's the thing about Luke that 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 I that I fell in love with and 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 always loved was he has an innate kindness about him and inside of him and he has he has he he has no malice. This cat had no malice, man. He was not, you know, me. I got tons of fucking malice, you know. I mean, I, this is a this is a competition to me. Blah blah. I'm talking about back in that those sure. days, you know. I was very competitive. And, you know, he but but Luke had this this innate kindness and and empathy about him, um, which I think is the reason that a generation fell in love with this guy, because yeah. it showed in his eyes, it showed in his face and his, and, vulnerab- and his vulnerability and which is where that vulnerability came from is is exactly what we're talking about is yeah. that is that kindness and, and, and that empathy he truly cared about other people and i know things that he did that i won't discuss here but i know things that he did for other people that nobody knows about and it, it blows the top of my head no, he's a very kind guy Pete knows that because of the nature of the job that i had mm. i was management right so any problems he's ever had with management in his life Right. Um, and creative management he certainly right. did not want to express those with Aaron Spelling because Aaron, Aaron, uh, you know, was really keenly responsible for his success. Right. And his visibility. So right. uh, he and I, I used to call them the 815 calls. And mm-hmm. he would go over every morning at 815 what he's going to do that day and mm-hmm. what lines he needed changed. Right. And uh, and we would go through that every, every time. And it took him right. a while. And I, and, and the, the, the story on that was, is I would often say, uh, talk about how quick you are to figure stuff out. I would say, let's shoot it two ways. Right. And he'd be fine with that. And then he realized I would always use my way right. to, uh, <laughs> to figure that one out. Correct. And, so, and that's, uh, and that's a tough, that's a tough one too, because you, you sit there and just to finish Chuck's, Chuck's, you know, sure. Chuck's scenario here um, is that when you're on a show, you know, immediately 
ultimately, it there's a certain us versus them sort of mentality that gets inserted into the circumstances and the situations. And, you know, you, you're, you're so young in your 20s and you don't realize it until you're in your 50s, man, that looking back on there, that this is this was a collective thing. You know, and the guys that lasted, the guys that did well, understood that it was collective, understood that it was collaborative, understood that nobody was out to get them, understood. And that's not true. There was a, there's a lot of pettiness and a lot of, uh, you know, resentment and, 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 and that shit that goes on in our business, no question. But when you're that tight on a show, if you can allow that stuff to, to not, if you not, if you don't internalize people's jobs, and what their responsibilities are, you have a much better chance of having a better day, you know, because yeah. if I, if I think Chuck's after me all day long, I'm going to be uptight. You know what I mean? If I think Stephen Cannell is looking, you know, looking at the dailies going, Oh my God, this guy sucks. You know, I I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to be, I'm going to be a mess because yes. by that time, and Chuck, Chuck will Chuck will back this up. I'm sure the air is so thin up there once you start getting attention and that kind of adulation and that kind of publicity that you start to lose touch with the reality of what's going on around you, which includes the collective of the people you're working with, because you get put into an individual bubble yeah. and you feel and you feel like you have to protect that bubble. And that's not the case. And you don't realize that until later that everyone's in the same bubble. You know, yeah. and that we should be that we should be, you know, holding each other's hands. Yes. Through this speaking, speaking of international fame and bubbles, I'm yes. assuming that the uh, that the Grand Tinker show that you they were talking about was Baywatch. No, the Grand Tinker show I'm talking about, thank God, wasn't Baywatch. It was another show that didn't go. Thank God <laughs> it didn't go. That was so the it, year. Of, that was the year of Baywatch. Correct. Um, and this 89, 90 pilot season, right? Yeah, no, it was another Grant Ticker show that didn't go. So it was an hour long pilot versus a two hour pilot with Stephen Cannell. I think I chose right. You know, yeah, definitely. I mean, I, I mean, I, I, there was it was, you know, it was again, it was math. You know what I mean? Plus, well, you had they were, both of them, both guys with the Titans. No, and I love Grant Tinker, man. And his show, I got to tell you, his show was better. Mm. Sure. It was, sure it was like it was like a law show. It was like a legal type of show before those shows had gotten. I think Law and Order was on by that time. Not Law and Order. What was what was the one with Corbin, Chuck? Uh, uh, L.A. Law. Yeah, L.A. Law. Right. Yeah. L.A. Law. The, the granddaddy of all those shows, you know? Yeah. And so anyway. Yeah. Ash, talk to me about getting this role here on Anaconda, this particular episode. I know you said you liked working with Dan Adius and oh, all yeah. that stuff. So tell me about this this particular thing. Well, that I, I remember I remember that, uh, you know, that Luke had Luke had called me up and said, hey, man, you want to come on and do a guest star? And I said, absolutely. He goes, we got to read. I go, happy to read for it. Of course. He goes, yeah. So I went in and I read, I don't remember who I read for first. Then I went in and I read for Darren Starr. Were you there, Chuck? Do you remember? I don't You've gone through thousands of these. Casting. I'm sure I was there. Yeah. So there was, there was a bunch, there was several people in the room and I can't The only remember. difference, you know, Darren liked casting more than I, because when you would be in casting, you weren't, you didn't have to write. Right. So I, I'd be <laughs> back writing a lot. And, right. but, I, but I went to casting a lot and, and most likely I'm, would have been in that one. I'm pretty sure Darren was there. Um, and For sure, Darren. I, Darren yeah. was. Uh, we, we were Paul doing was the show together. There. No question. And, and I remember him. I re the only thing I remember about Darren was his smile. He was a really nice guy. He was very nice to me anyway. And I'm sure that had to do with the fact that everyone knew I was Luke's friend coming in probably. So they were, you know, uh, you know, in, in maybe a little bit nicer to me than 
then... no, Darren, Darren likes actors. Darren, Darren well, it, it, you know, it, it, boy, did it Darren show. likes show business. Darren likes actors. So that's great. That's what we okay. get. Because I, I really equate doing well in that audition to to that feeling that I got when that guy, you know, shook I shook that guy's hand and he smiled at me and I like immediately got relaxed. I got comfortable. And, you know, it was it was it was a really pleasant experience. I don't remember my my I, I think I do remember fucking a I do remember I had to do that scene where at the end of the episode where we're talking into the camera. Yes, you know. Where we're, we're, I think we're talking to the police. Yes, yes, that's right. Okay, mm-hmm. uh, that right. that was that was my audition. That's amazing. That was it. That was it. That was all. That was all I could remember auditioning was just that little piece, and right. uh, and and I and I and I remember I felt like I did okay with it. Um, so anyway, yeah, I I, I got it, and um, I, I had never met Dan Adius before. Total sweetheart. Um, great director, great, great director. I mean, I absolutely yeah, adored working with him yeah. and, and, and I know everyone else felt that way about him. I mean, this is a, this is a guy that's been, been around now. He's been around forever and I still see his name all over the place. Um, so yeah, Dan was a great guy. Very, very sweet to me. Um, and everybody was nice to me, man. You know, I was very nervous coming into that show i i had finished thunderbolt row i think at that point we knew it wasn't going to go um because there was some question about it for a while but they they scrapped that show and i had gone on and done right after thunderbolt row i did adam 12 um i had a really good guest star in adam 12 it was not a great show but it was a really really terrific guest star and i had done i played van damme's brother in lionheart nice right after right after that Mm -hmm. where they where they where they lit me on fire in in the opening credits you know, and the only the only reason that I said yes to it was I wanted to be part of a Van Damme movie. You know, right, I wanted to right. be I want because I love martial arts and all that stuff. I love Bruce Lee movies like we all do. And so I wanted to just be part of that genre somehow. So it was like great. That was Sheldon Littich, who was a really sweet guy, too. Um, he was the director. But um, I loved everybody on that show. I had a very secret crush on Shannon. I thought Shannon was Shannon was a badass. And I just I just thought she was cool. And she was very nice to me. Tori was really nice to me um jason and luke and i had already hung out at that point a bunch of times um we had taken our first bungee jumps together guys and right. i don't think they were i don't think they were allowed to tell the show but we this was before bungee jumping was okay to do and we had commandoed into this thing up in gorman to this 300 foot high pressure gas main with all these cats and we all took our first jumps me and J- me and jason and luke Chuck, did you know um, so, that if you had known that they were all bungee jumping? I, I have think. just died a, on behalf of Aaron Spelling. I just died a death. Yeah. <laughs> because, uh, yeah. I, Aaron flipped out. Aaron flipped out once when they when he found out that Jason was doing some skateboarding. Right. Uh, right. Trying to learn right. skateboard tricks, you know. So yeah. Well, sorry. Going. Sorry, Aaron. Um, I'll, I'll do. I'll Everyone do survived. We're all okay. Yeah, yeah we're yeah. all okay. But but we took our first ones. I remember I wanted I wanted to do it naked, and Luke talked me out of it because um, <laughs> uh, he said he said, "Bro, the harness is gonna like cut your Johnson off. What's wrong with you? You know, what if it's like?" I go, "Oh, you're right." So I did it in my Calvin's, and that was that was fine. But I have pictures somewhere of me and Jason and Luke all getting ready to jump off. Oh, this you high find pro- those pictures. Uh, I, they're 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 something. in a box. They'd be, valued. They'd be great. Find it. Yeah, they're 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 definitely in my box. I have them. 
But you um, have an Aaron Spelling story too. You did eventually meet Aaron. You didn't meet him on this particular. Setting. No, I met Aaron. I met Aaron a bunch of times um, after that. Uh, after that guest star, that guest star, I guess, got me a little attention from Aaron. I'll I'll get to that, Pete. Really, um, a, hand, a handsome white boy. Unfortunately, yeah, I I would like to hear the story, but I gotta have to pull. Uh, okay, go ahead, man. Yeah, uh, I'm, I'm sorry, we're good. I remember when I when I came on there to to uh, one of the first days I remember is at the beach club. And we, we the, the beach club was going down. I mean, I think at that point, you guys had already the, the show had already rented it. You know, because that's right. they, they spent that whole I think that whole season was that's right. The, a lot of the summer was all in the beach club. That's right. Right. Yeah. Correct. And mm-hmm. I grew up like early, early on up the beach at the Bel Air Bay Club. Right. You know, which was and all of these beach clubs, there was four of them. There's Jonathan Club, the Beach Club, the Sand and Sea and the Bel Air Bay Club, but we all had paddle tennis teams, you know, so everybody was like sure. competitive. Everybody was competitive. And it was, it was actually kind of a great way to grow up because my grandparents were members and we sort of, uh, we used to sneak in all the time. Um, so um, when I got there to the beach that day, I had pulled up and I, I had a 911 SC, beautiful Porsche at that point. Um, and I love this car. Fucking love this car. This is a beautiful car, beautiful ride. And I bought it when I got Thunderbolt Row. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. So, yeah. So I was like, it's like, oh, taking taking this a little, little too, little too soon. Um, but so I pull up in this, pull up in this Porsche, and Brian Austin Green meets me in the parking lot. This might have been the next day, but I'm gonna I'm gonna amalgam. Sure, it's fine. The, the, the thing. <laughs> And, and he comes out and he goes, he goes, bro, 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 listen up. Listen, 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 dude. I got, I got, I got these Bose stereos, man. I got these Bose stereos, man. And I'm like, what are you talking about, Brian? He goes, oh, I got these Bose stereos. And he goes over to the car and he opens up the seat. He's got all these Bose stereos. He tried to sell me a Bose stereo to my, for my Porsche. <laughs> and I was like, I fucking love this guy. <laughs> it's fucking great. I absolutely adore this guy. And I was like, no, man, look, I've already got a Bosch in there. I've already got a Bose system in there. You know, he's like, I don't need one. I don't need one. So, um, and, and I remember Shannon, Shannon and I got along because we both smoked. And That's right. We, yeah. we were like, we were like smoking cigars and she was like, I think the only one that was that really smoked. And I remember watching her taking it. Cause I wasn't really smoking cigars. I was smoking cigarettes, but I wasn't smoking cigars yet, which obviously I am now. Right. Um, but, um, I remember watching her take her first drag off the cigar when we were all sitting around getting ready to play poker and she inhaled it. And just like, like a, like a, like a, like a truck driver, you know, I mean, she was just like, she was so tough, man. But the, 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 the paradox of that was, was fascinating to me. And I just immediately got a crush on her because she was so tough, but she was so pretty. Yeah. You know, and she was really sweet. She was really nice to me and uh, uh, just a, a really fun to work with. And, and they were, here's the great thing about that show. They were all really nice to me. That's cool, man. Yeah, you I've know, heard that. Yeah, they were all really. I mean, Ian was really nice to me, and Tori was really nice to me, and and it was you know it was a bit incestuous, I think, because sure. I was friends because I was friends with Luke, and 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 you know sort of by proxy, Jason and I you know never really got tight outside of our circle uh, with Luke, but you know we we were definitely pals, 
and you know they were all just really nice to me and and it made it made it a pleasure to to work under those circumstances because we shot that episode i think in 10 days Mm. um i think it was a week and a half um not much longer than that um and you know adius was cool and you know all the all the producers seemed cool there was no like tension on the set there was no there was no bullshit now maybe that happened later on well, yeah, I mean, they, they exploded. I mean, so, you know, at this time, Luke was really exploding and all of those guys were really huge stars at this point because the show had, you know, had reached this thing with the summer episodes and it was all starting to happen. Did Luke change at all? Mm, I don't I don't know, because uh, did he change? I mean, yeah, of course he changed. Everybody changes when they get when they get hit with that kind of thing. We all change. Sure. When you when you start to get that kind of attention and adulation at that age, um, anybody is affected by it, and it's not all positive. Because yeah. what people what people don't understand is that kind of celebrity that Luke went through and and survived was it is treacherous man it's treacherous because people don't understand that to have that it costs something Mm. you know people just think oh it happened oh yeah it's great you know how could those people have any problems blah 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 no man it's a job it's a profession like any other and it has rules and it has regulations and it has things you have to follow and it has you know, a, a paradigm and axioms that you have to adhere to. Um, and when you start to get that kind of attention, especially kind of the kind of attention that Luke got, where all of a sudden he's on the cover of Vanity Fair, you know, it's like, hey, man, you know, rock stars are on the cover of Vanity Fair, movie stars on the cover of Vanity Fair. And there's Luke, you know. And so did it change him? Sure, it did, man. It, 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 it forces you You lose, you lose, you lose a lot when you get that. You don't just lose your anonymity and your ability to blend into the crowd. You don't just lose that, but you lose a part of yourself because that's what it demands. That's the paycheck. Mm -hmm. That's what, that's what, not the paycheck. That's, that's what it costs you. That's the paycheck you have to pay in order to have that life. And people never really investigate that. You know, and and I think it should be investigated. Totally. I think it should. I think it should be looked at because it's a really hard job to be that famous. Mm. It's a really, really hard job. It's hard on you emotionally. It's hard on your relationships. It's hard on your perception and and your own behavior towards towards other people in the way. Now, the thing about Luke was he never became a prick. Right. You know, that guy didn't be didn't fame. Fame didn't didn't he didn't respond to fame that way. A lot of people do, but he didn't. Um, he he did not become uh, to to in my experience as his friend or as a coworker. Did he ever see seem to be that at all? Uh, right. He re, he retained his his empathy and his his care of others because he was like I said earlier. He was an innately nice person and a kind yeah. person. And right. I think he respected other people and, and he cared about how other people felt. And I think he liked the celebrity in the sense that it made other people feel good. And that sure. he was he was able to to make people feel good. And I think that made him feel good. I know it did. Um, so, uh, uh, you know, as far as, uh, you know, Aaron 
calling me in for other stuff. Yeah, man. He called me in for, for a couple other things. And I remember one time he, he, he called me in to read for him and, and the writers and, and everybody for this show. And I, I think it was, I think it was called Malibu road or something like that. And, um, you know, I, I, I went in and, and I just, I, I, I was so dumb, man. I just, I didn't like it. I didn't like it. And, and I think what people didn't understand what I was going through was, you know, I had already done a soap for three years, right. You know, and, and Malibu road just felt like another soap, you know, it was just, it was, it was going to be on nighttime and I didn't want to do that again. And if I wanted to keep doing soaps, I would have stayed in New York. Sure. You know, they, they offered me, you know, they offered to place me somewhere else. And I want to have this actor studio experience, Yes, you know, like, you know, like you want to utilize this thing that you've been doing in this gift that you have, you know what I mean? Yeah. No question. The actor studio had a big, big thing to do with it. And you know, it was like, I don't want to do Malibu road. I don't want to run around in my, in my surf shorts, man. You know, I just, I don't want to do that. And I never really felt like that was my calling, you know, to sure. be like a, like a sex symbol or something. I, even though in soaps, we were all sex symbols, sure. mm-hmm. you know, in one way, shape or form, but I just, I didn't like it. So I went in and I read for Aaron and everybody in, in Aaron's office and you can land a plane in Aaron's office, his old office. <laughs> right. I mean, it was just takes 10 minutes to walk from the door to his desk. I mean, it's just, it's a huge office. Everything with Aaron was big. You know, he, he was such a cool cat. Um, he was just, he was such a cool cat. And, and I went in there and I remember thinking, okay, what are you going to do, man? You don't want to do this show, but you don't want to, you don't want to upset Aaron. You know, you don't want to be disrespectful. So I thought to myself, okay, I'll tank the audition. <laughs> right. Yeah. You know, I'll just, I'll just do it. Like, I'll just do it really like calm and, you know, I'll just, I'll just do it real. I'll do it real flat line. You know, I'll just, so it's, it's almost like when an actor doesn't want to do something, he prices himself out. Sure. Totally. You know? Well, I didn't get to that point with this, but I, you know, I just said, okay, I'll tank the audition so that Aaron does, you know, Mr. Spelling doesn't get upset with me, you know, blah, blah, blah. So anyway, I read it and everybody's staring at me like sheep, you know, like what happened? What was that? You know, that's not what, that's not what we expected because I was a pretty fiery actor, man. I was a pretty, I was, you know, I was, I was, I was get at that point, I was getting known to be the guy that went on and did these really, you know, like, you know, big badass kind of, you know, emotional, you know, performances and cuckoo performances and, you know, playing the heavies and playing the bad guys and all that kind of stuff. And, and so Aaron said, you know, uh, you want to do it again? And I said, no, you know, that was, I felt pretty good about that. So he walks me to the door, mm-hmm. which like, which, like I said, takes like 10 minutes. So you can talk from the sure, right, right, room the desk to, to the door. Yeah. 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 So we're, we're talking and he said something to the effect of, you know, what went on there, man, you know, what, what, what's going on. And I said, Aaron, I, I, man, I just, I respect you so much and I really want to work for you and I love your shows, but does it have to be this one? Right. Mm-hmm. And he looked at me, he put his arm around me and he said, I understand kid. I get it. I never heard from him again. Yeah. Mm. It, it was about four years. Actually, yeah. I did. I did hear from him again, but I got put, I got put in the, in the corner for about four years. Fair enough. For right. that. <laughs> yeah. Even, even, even though I thought I was doing it respectfully, yes. you know, you look back now and you're like, dude, just say yes to everything. Just do the show. Right? Yeah. Just <laughs> do the show. Shut up and do the show. You know? And, yeah. and I didn't, I didn't know that. I, I thought I, I was following some, you know, career trajectory and I had one, 
You know, yes. I was I was following Alec Baldwin was one of my was one of my mentors as, as a young actor coming up. He did the doctors in New York for, for a couple of years. You know, he started in soaps as sure. well, but he was also he was also doing off Broadway and theater. And so I hung out with Alec you know, quite a bit. And 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 I used to follow him around on auditions. And 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 I remember one time he told me, he said, I said, he said, listen, I'll tell you what your job is when you're auditioning. Your job is to go in there, blow them away and then leave. <laughs> yeah. He said, don't stay and talk. Don't talk. Right. Because 99% of the time you will talk yourself out of the job. Fair, that's amazing. That's very good. And I'm, like, yeah. I'm like, oh my God. Yeah. He said, no matter what he said, if you know, they, they say, Hey, sit down, tell us about yourself. Say, I'm so sorry. I have to go pick up my mom. She it's, it's the other side. Of the She's getting out of the doctors <laughs> yeah, right now. Right. I gotta go. Yeah. Yeah. Don't say, don't say you've got another audition because that's telling them to go screw themselves and something else is more important than them. But if you say you got to go do this, yes, they can't fault you for it. And then you get out of there and you're safe. Right. But you they know, love I, the audition. They only have that impression of just that's the, right. the work. The work so, is good. Right. Yeah. Alec is one of the smartest guys in the world. You know, totally. and I've, I've always, you know, so flash forward about, I don't know, maybe it was about two years. It was about a year and a half after that. And I'm in New York. I've got Ryan's Hope. Okay. And the show's been airing now for a couple of months. It's summer. It's summertime. And I'm coming down Amsterdam Avenue in a cab. And I look in front of me about 100 yards. And there's this vision of this guy walking up the middle of Amsterdam in, in jeans and a white wife beater with his hair slicked back and sunglasses. And it's Alec looking like a god. Right. I mean, looking like a god. And I said, stop the cab. I got out of the cab and I walked up to him and he looked at me and he said, so are you happy now? right and i said man i'm so happy thank you so much and he put awesome. his arm he put his arms around me and blah 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 so anyway um i think the next time i did i, I don't I, I the next time i went in for spelling um he he did call me in another time a few years later when they were replacing somebody on melrose place i got you okay mm -hmm. like the guy did one episode and started mm -hmm. acting like an asshole and they fired him whoever it was right and so Aaron brought about 10 of us up to his house mm -hmm. on this like Saturday because they had to like put the guy, whoever got this role in on Monday. Right. To replace to replace this guy. Obviously, the role I'm talking about was the Andrew Shue role. Yes. So Andrew Shue got that role. But so I went in and you want to talk about a house, Aaron's house. Oh, my God. <laughs> right. I mean, it yeah. was like the, it's like walking into the Getty, you know? Yeah. And I went in there and probably the worst audition of my life. Mm, right. And I didn't even want it to be. I wanted it to be good. You I wanted, wanted to get that one. Work. Yeah. I mm. really wanted that one. Melrose Place was had already been on. It was a totally good show, you know, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, oh, man, all right, I'm going to nail this. And I went in there and I read and I walk out and there's a living room full of guys. Totally. You know, mm -hmm. and this the, one of the one of the producers or writer, not the writer, one of the producers came out. And I think it might have been one of the one of the showrunners came out and said, hey, man, we, we, we want to see you again, but we're going to we're going to read everybody else. So we want you to wait. Mm -hmm. So will you wait? And I said, of course. He said, so he gave me a couple of adjustments, what to do. Don't do this. Don't do that. And, you know, but the rest of it was great. Do that when you come back in. And I go, great. Nailed it. I got it. Right. Fuck, yeah. Fuck, this is mine. So I'm sitting there waiting. And all of a sudden the casting director came out mm. and I, and I didn't know this casting director was the casting director for this show. Right. And it was a casting director 
who didn't like me at all. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. And I didn't like him. Yeah. And it was like, so he came out and he looked at me like, Hey, how's it going? And I'm like, Oh, right. <laughs> yeah. oh my God. And I'm thinking the whole time. All right. I know Aaron likes me. So I know this guy doesn't like me. Right. You know, maybe that'll balance out. So I'm sitting there and I'm like, shit. Oh man. I don't know, man. Maybe, maybe this is going to go South. Who fucking knows? Someone else comes. I remember a woman comes out and I uh-huh. must've been, must've been one of the writers. And she came out and she sat down real close next to me on the couch. And there was only a couple more guys to go in. So the living room was getting empty. And she said, Hey, and I said, Hey, and she said, look, um, piece of advice. Um, next time you come in to read for a show, um, don't add in your own jokes. And I said, Oh, I'm sorry. I, I was just trying to like, you know, separate myself your, from, yeah, from exactly. the herd. I was just trying to get something going. She said, yeah, well, don't. Because oh, God. When, when, no, listen, listen. She says, because when you write your own jokes, it makes the writers feel like their stuff isn't enough. And she got up and spun and walked away. I went, okay, I'm out. I'm done. <laughs> You're not getting that. Yeah. I'm not getting this. Not going to happen. I went and I found a phone. I called my agent at the time, Joanne Colano. And I said, this ain't going to happen. She goes, why? I said, trust me, it's just not going to happen. And sure enough, I don't even think I went in and read a second time. No. uh, To tell you the truth, I think that was like they had a they must have had a double secret probation meeting on me when everyone was gone. And they say, "Okay, thanks, man. You know, you you can go now. Like, uh, fuck. So, you know, look, we all do that a lot. Totally. In in the beginning, we, we just make so many faux pas. And and it and it doesn't really come from malice. It just comes from we don't know what we're doing. Inexperience, we're, just learning the learning yeah. by yeah, learning by painting it's, numbers, whatever it's called. It's, <laughs> it's you know? tri- trial by fire. Man. Exactly, it's trial by fire. All right, I'm gonna get this wrapped up, but I want to ask you if 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 anybody's watching. Well, for, I want to ask you what you're up to too. Yeah, I, I want to ask you about Luke and kind of button that. Like, okay. if you if if. If fans, super fans, they love Luke and they and they watch this interview, they're listening to this. What was what is like we talked about his kindness. Mm-hmm. What is the one thing you want people to know about Luke Perry? We, oh. we lost him and and do yeah. you remember hearing about that? And what, what did oh what did yeah. We... Yeah, I I I yeah, it was a part, it was a part of my youth, man. You know, Luke was a part of my youth and he was a, he was an important part of that time in our lives when we were coming up, you know, when we were coming up and we were learning how to do this thing that we that we were that we were doing. We were learning how learning the business and learning how to you know, not get fired and learning how to how to be actors and learning the business and learning the craft and, and you know, trying to stay guys at the same time, you know, trying to trying to keep our feet on the ground and. Um, you know, besides Luke's kindness, obviously, and, and uh, obviously anyone who knew him will, will, will back that up. But um, he had a kindness about him, but mostly what I remember, he, he, he was, like I said earlier, he was without malice. Mm. And that's very rare in, in this business of show it's very rare and especially with somebody who was as successful as he was but he also was incredibly generous 
he was incredibly generous with with what he had and and what he offered other people and um he took care of a lot of people man Mm. and um stuff that i can't talk about but he he taught he took care of a lot of people and um especially one guy that we 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 both knew in new york when he really needed it and Mm. um luke was one of those guys that retained his humanity through all of this and he stayed a good guy and uh that's no easy feat when you're getting the attention he was getting and you become a phenomenon mm-hmm. and you become a you know in into the lexicon of pop culture you know mm-hmm. um it is a a monolithic achievement and a testament to his humanity uh, what, mm. a, what a, and his decency mm. you know he was just a, he was an innately decent guy and a fun guy yeah you know with a terrific sense of humor um and he was a sexy guy and he was a fun guy and and he was a smart guy and he had great instincts and um he was just a great he was he was just a great part of my part of great part of my life my totally. friendship with my friendship with him um and when he when he when he passed um, you know i i i remember um you know weeping you know just weeping uh not just for the loss but for that part of of our of our innocence you know that that we shared together that was that was gone you know mm-hmm. and um that part of our youth and and innocence that that representative of it of my life mm. that part that part was gone now forever and we didn't we didn't get the chance to come back together and do something as as grown-ups mm. you know which which i really had hoped we would get to do um and we didn't get to do that and i it was it's selfishly for me i was very um sad that that wasn't going to happen um and that i wouldn't have the chance you know to come back together with him and 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 maybe do something together in the future um and i think like i like you and i had talked about earlier i think he was on the precipice of 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 that not not so much a comeback but an evolution where he was going to become uh back into the into the public eye again as as a grown-up actor and as a uh somebody who had a whole different set of skills skills and tools and experiences to share as an actor and i think that was just about to happen and i think quentin knew that that's why he put him in once upon a time in hollywood totally and gave him such a prominent spot and you know and and, and moment sort of yeah yeah yeah. and my point is is other people i think saw what i just said was about to happen and you know and he had that he had that uh, maturity about him and you know we we when you when you look back yeah of course everything's in the in the rear view but sure. you know um objects appear closer than they really are mm-hmm. you know what i mean i do know what you mean yeah they look like they're right there man but they're not they're a lifetime away and uh when luke died that 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 part of me a uh, part part of me died too um and i and i know the people that were you know, closer to him than, than I was and his family and his kids. And, 
all of those people, uh, you know, my, my heart and, and thoughts are always with them and, and go out to them because uh, Luke was a, a genuine loss. Mm. So Ash, what are you working on these days, man? What are you, what are you doing, man? What's, what's, oh, uh... dude. And what I, what I spent the last, this is the last thing I can sort of tell you, you know, I, I, I don't know. Do you like true crime? Are you sure. I love crime? it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, there was a documentary back in 2015, 2014 called the seven five, which okay. is, which is about Michael Dowd and Kenny Urell, who are the dirtiest cops in NYP, NYPD history. And they were in the eighties and, and, and early nineties. Well, the drug, the drug Lord gangster guy that they partnered up with that, that, they partnered up with a guy named Adam Diaz. Okay. Who in the in the in the in the documentary um, comes on about thirty five minutes into the movie, and about thirty five minutes into the movie, these these two cops go to see this gangster who can help them. You know, they can help him protect his empire. You know, uh-huh. by by you sure. know letting them letting them know if they're being targeted. Sure, I got you. Getting, right. getting competition away from him if they need an escort to move a load, whatever. So Adam Diaz hires these two cops and they're off and running. And it's, it's, it's an amazing movie, but I fell in love with Adam Diaz. I fell in love with Mike and Kenny too, who have since become pals of mine, but I fell in love with Adam Diaz. So I spent the last five years uh, forming a relationship with Adam Diaz, the gangster who lives in the Dominican Republic. And last September, I finally said to him, look, let's forget about, let's forget about everything else. Let's do a podcast. That's great, man. I'm going to come down to the Dominican Republic because obviously he can't come here. He's been deported. He did almost 20 years and then he was deported. I said, I'll come down there with a, with a mobile podcast studio and we'll do 10 or 12 episodes. And everybody on my, you know, team went, are you out of your mind? What are you doing? (laughs) Right. Right. Yeah. The guy's a psychopath. He's a gangster. He's a fucking murderer. He's a drug lord. Because you got to understand, this guy was moving 400 keys a week for the Medellin cartel. Totally crazy. Yeah, I got you, man. Yeah. Before he was 21, Mm. you know? So this guy was a real, like, sort of gangster savant. You know what I mean? Right, right, right. He was like the shit. So I went down there, and I spent two weeks with this guy, and, you know, I got got just unbelievable 12 episodes of this guy, which we're in the process of selling right now. And it's just been an amazing experience doing this, man. And I, and I loved, I loved creating and hosting a podcast. So I created what's called on being a gangster. That's my show. And season one is Adam and Adam's my partner on this thing, you know, with, with, you know, with season one and on being a gangster is an anthology series. So this season will be Adam. And the next season I want to do the Yakuza. You know, nice. Yeah, yeah. I want to I want to go find someone in the Yakuza to sit down and talk because they sort of invented gangsterism. Totally. You know what I mean, yeah. So, you know, I'm I'm doing stuff like that, man. And, you know, I'm, I'm having a good time. I'm having a great life and I'm and I'm making a living. And, you know, it, it did it all turn out the way that I hoped it would when I was in my 20s. No, it didn't actually, you mm-hmm. know, but did I get to do some stuff that I'm proud of? Yeah, I did. And I got to accomplish some things that I'm proud of. And it's been a great ride. And, and through it all, you know, I got to work with and, and meet guys like Luke. And totally. for me, you know, at 58 years old, looking back, it's a fucking win, man. Absolutely. Can people follow you on social media? Are you on this? Are you on the yeah. social? Yeah. yeah, yeah, absolutely. I'm uh, real Ash Adams on Instagram. That's R-E-E-L. Cool. Ash Adams. 
Um, and that's where I am on Instagram, uh, but I'm not on Facebook or any other social media. That, that's the one place, man. That's where we're all yeah, at. Well, yeah, well, <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, I'm not on the other places. You know why? What's that? Because I'm a grown up. That's exactly, why. Exactly. I'm 58 years old. What do you want? I'm not on me? TikTok. No, yeah, I'm, 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 nobody <laughs> wants to see my old ass fucking up there shaking it. You know, <laughs> I hear you. They, man. Don't wanna, they don't want to see that stuff. Brother, it's been amazing talking. Awesome, to you. brother. Real good talking to you, man. Let's stay in touch. All right. And yeah. Well, that was a ton of fun talking to Ash Adams and really diving into some Luke stuff and some of his career. Um, I totally had a lot of fun talking to him and talking about Anaconda. Um, just want to plug again that we will be doing uh, this this tweet along. Nope, we'll be doing this stream along um, with Pluto TV and Reddit. And just stick around and listen or check out our Instagram page. It's going to be August 9th. And then we will post all the details there of how you can listen to us chatting about the episodes on Reddit. Those two episodes, Hazardous to Your Health and something in the air and uh, we'll get you the proper channel and it's going to be kind of like the podcast but on reddit and there'll sh supposedly be a whole bunch of people new people listening to us uh, cover that and the behind the scenes making of all that stuff um lastly i want to plug something that is old and only because i am just so into it right now okay so kathleen robertson you guys know my tv crush uh you know her as claire <laughs> on the show um she did this show on pluto it's it's streaming on pluto tv it was on ifc it's an older show it's called the business um guys give it a go because i just absolutely adore it and think she's so incredible of, of, in it and if you are a clara fan i think you'll you'll dig to see this it's called the business i bought the dvd like a, like a psycho but it is on pluto um, and you can find that. All right, we'll be back next week with more Beverly Hills 90210 show. Uh, you know all the different places and things to follow us and see what we're up to. Uh, thanks so much for tuning in to this episode.